Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Shiva Mosevarian, and welcome to SoundBites. There are times when it's hard to fit exercise into our busy lives, or when chronic pain takes over and exercise just isn't possible. I'm here today to discuss options for how to add exercise into everyday life despite such challenges with Connor Hurley, co-director of physical therapy at Therapeutic Associates Bethany in Portland, Oregon. Connor holds a doctorate in physical therapy as well as being a board-certified clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy and a certified orthopedic manipulative therapist. He is also a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Connor has extensive experience with coaching, personal training, and motor skill instruction for people of all ages and activity levels to help increase activity, exercise, and strength. He has a passion for wanting to help others and aspires to spread his love of movement and physical activity to the community at large. Let's hear what tips and information Connor can share with us today. Welcome, Connor, and thank you for joining SoundBites. There are many reasons why someone may not exercise. This can include chronic pain, muscle aches, and fatigue, which many in the psoriatic disease community are familiar with. What do you say to someone who tells you it's too painful to exercise? Maybe my health isn't the best or I'm too tired. Exercise seems counterintuitive to what you may propose. Yeah, that's uh, something we hear a lot of in our business and not just with folks with psoriatic arthritis or psoriasis. A lot of people with chronic pain syndromes, including things like fibromyalgia, it's not uncommon to hear that, and it's a fair concern. It is extremely difficult to get over the hump of starting exercise. And what we find in our industry is people often think they need to do 30 minutes or an hour or a lot of exercise right away. So a lot of our encouragement and communication is we just want to start somewhere, even if it's as low as one minute given the condition, or if you need to miss a day because you're having a flare or something like that, that's fine. But we do want to start somewhere because exercise will actually release endorphins and encephalins and all the feel-good hormones that help with the pain that these people are experiencing. That's a great point. And sometimes it's not someone's physical health. It could also be how someone feels emotionally. We know that depression, anxiety could be a factor to taking those first steps, and that depression, anxiety are higher in people who have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. So how do you motivate someone to exercise whose biggest barrier is how they feel about themselves and potentially about their psoriatic disease? It's a great question and definitely something that more people are dealing with than the general public might be aware of. And it's one of those things where We definitely encourage that they're working with a counselor or a mental health professional. So that's the first thing is we're not experts in treating those issues and providing the strategies to navigate it. So we do direct people to those professionals. The other thing to consider is motivational interviewing techniques. If someone's in a pre-contemplative state where they aren't verbalizing any thoughts or 
action-oriented statements around exercise, it's possible that not everyone's ready to start the exercise journey. But when they verbalize things to us in physical therapy, like I've thought about this or I've considered doing this, then that's where we can jump in and ask those follow-up questions of, oh, like, how do you think that might be beneficial? Or what made you think about that? And get them to consider why it would be helpful to exercise. If someone can verbalize the benefits of exercise without me having to tell them, it's much more likely that A, they'll start exercising and B, they'll stick with it. So we find in our business that motivational interviewing techniques can be very helpful for both identifying who's ready to exercise, but also getting them to motivate themselves. That way it's not reliant on an external factor like their doctor of physical therapy. Right. And realistically, for someone who lives with chronic pain, such as what occurs with psoriatic arthritis or fibromyalgia, which you mentioned earlier, or other limited mobility, how much physical activity should someone do? And does that activity have to be done all at one time? Yep. So there is a individual component to that. And certainly you want to speak with your healthcare professionals, your physical therapist, your primary care physician, your rheumatologist about what's appropriate for you. So there's not a one size fits all answer. However, any exercise is better than none. A starting point of five minutes, 10 minutes, something like that, one or two times throughout the day can be a very good starting place for most people especially if we find the appropriate type of exercise. Usually with psoriatic arthritis, it's going to be more low impact. So riding a bike or a stationary bike, water aerobics, swimming, walking, even walking on softer surfaces like bark dust versus pavement can be very helpful. But we do want to eventually build up to about 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per week. It does not have to be 30 minutes all at once in the day even if it's 10 minutes, three times, because that's what you can tolerate. And doing 30 minutes in a row starts a flare, causes aches and pains that prevents you from exercising the next day or days after. It's better sometimes to start small. So Connor, it sounds like you agree that it may not be best to have high expectations and to start slow. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, for most people. And some people may be able to do 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour of exercise right away. A lot of it's going to depend on age, general health status. Do you have other medical comorbidities? Do you have an exercise background already? Like maybe you were a some sort of athlete in the past, so your aerobic engine is a little more well-developed than some of ours is. So in general, it's best to start where you can do something comfortably and not wake up and pay for it, so to speak, the next day. If you have some soreness, we expect that with exercise, but it definitely shouldn't last into the next day or make you feel limited with the rest of that day either. So what types of activity or movement work well for someone with chronic pain and stiff joints due to arthritis? You provided some examples earlier, but I was hoping you could elaborate. Yeah, in general, and again, it can be different person to person, lower impact activities, kind of like we talked about earlier with swimming, stationary bike, elliptical, walking on soft surfaces like bark dust or a treadmill instead of on pavement, yoga, floor mat Pilates, different things like that can really help develop muscle and our cardiovascular system without putting as much load and stress on our joints. So we often start with those activities. And if someone has a really specific 
high impact activity goal. Maybe that's coaching their kid's soccer team or being involved with some sort of running group. It doesn't mean we can't work towards those things, but it's good to start with the low impact activities, assess your body's response, and then build from there. So you mentioned building muscle. How important is it to include some type of stretching or muscle strengthening activity in a daily routine, especially if you have arthritis? Yeah, that's a great question. And the short answer is it's vital. It's well-researched, well-documented in our field, as well as with rheumatological conditions in general. Strength training, functional strength building, stretching are all critical. Now, more of our research and better research is geared towards cardiovascular exercise. And that's really the first focus. Once we get someone close to that 150 minutes per week, that really has to be our first priority because of the things we mentioned earlier about the endorphins and the encephalin release and the pain management that we get from cardiovascular activity. But once we're there, throwing in two to three days a week of stretching or muscle strengthening with Pilates, yoga, or a routine that you develop with your physical therapist or personal trainer can be a really good way to go. So Connor, given what we spoke about initially, would it be helpful to try out a mindfulness approach to being active? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of folks with chronic pain conditions, rheumatoid arthritis, or other rheumatological or metabolic conditions find a way to navigate life and get the job done, so to speak, whether that be working, raising kids, having a relationship with their partner, spouse, whatever it may be tend to mute the pain and ignore the way that their body feels. And while short-term, this can be an effective approach to get your day-to-day activities done, long-term, it can really have an impact on the joint health and our body's ability to tolerate movement and activity. So being mindful of the way our body feels, implementing things like yoga, deep breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, even meditation, and honing in on how your body feels, which joints are doing well today, which ones aren't, and then figuring out what you need to do to get those joints that are a little more cranky, feeling better before you do your normal movement activities is incredibly important and valuable. It's something that we spend a lot of time teaching our chronic pain population, our rheumatoid arthritis population as well. So there's structure physical activity that someone plans to do, like the activities you already mentioned. And then there are activities that are based more on opportunity that can be included in daily life. Could you please provide examples of what this could look like? Yeah, absolutely. Cardiovascular exercise, the strengthening, the mindful exercise are all critical. One thing that many of us, myself included, often overlook is how important are general activity and even looking at something as simple as step count, going from 4,000 steps in a day to 6,000. For example, could be a huge way to help yourself systemically be more healthy, manage your weight, help your joints be strong and robust. A couple of examples might be, we all typically go to the grocery store, although post-COVID, there's a lot more delivery options as well, but parking at the back of the parking lot and then walking into the store and walking back can be an easy way to get another extra several hundred steps in. Even thinking about taking the stairs, if your knees, your hips, your lower back can tolerate that workload, rather than taking the elevator can be a really easy way to 
increase your physical activity without adding additional things into our life. Many of us feel overwhelmed with the commitments and tasks that we have to do already. So if we can integrate more activity into our life without adding things to the agenda, it can be very valuable. And there are also ways that this can be done in the home, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's even as simple as I'm on a Zoom call at work, the call ends, I walk a few laps around the house, I get a cup of water, I go to the bathroom, and then rather than going right back to the Zoom call, whatever that next one is, maybe I do three or four laps around the house every hour. You know, that's like another couple hundred steps in the day right there. That seems easy enough. So how many steps do we actually need to do per day? I know we've all heard about this magic number, 10,000, but from your opinion and your point of view, is there a recommended amount? It's a great question and something that we had asked multiple times a day, every day. And the truth is there's no correct answer. Now, there is a lot of research around quality of life, length of life, and step count. And people that are getting 8,000 are going to be dramatically more healthy than people that are getting 6,000, for example. Now, there are a lot of confounding factors to that research, like it's not accounting for medical comorbidities or systemic health things, rheumatoid arthritis being one of those. So it'd be difficult to give an exact answer, but the more you can get in the day, the better your body's going to feel and the stronger your joints are going to be, the more you're going to release those feel-good hormones that we addressed earlier, the endorphins, the encephalins, and manage your pain in that way without having to take drugs, opioids, medications that have a lot of other negative systemic effects. So part of the issue of maintaining being active is loss of motivation over time. We hear the jokes about exercise equipment becoming a coat rack in a couple of months. Do you have any tips to help keep the motivation of being active going? Is finding something you love part of the solution? I would love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, absolutely. And there is an unbelievable amount of data on this exact topic, but you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Finding something that you actually like, not something that you think you should do, is really critical. Sometimes what works for folks is combining the exercise with something else that they like. If you're a social person and you value your relationships with other people, whether that be a family member, a friend, a spouse, and you can do some sort of exercise with them, it can create this association between the positive feelings we have towards something we already love. Maybe it's the socialization, maybe it's something else. And, and in a way, you can trick your brain into loving the exercise piece. If that's not naturally our state, which for many of us, we don't love going out and doing a walk. We don't love going to the gym. However, we might love spending time with our spouse. And if we can do that with them, it's high quality time where you're not in a screen, you're not distracted, you're just doing something that's good for you and you're doing something you love at the same time. These are such great ideas. You know, we've talked a lot about movement and being active today, but I wonder, are there any cautions that someone should be aware of as they begin adding some form of movement into their everyday activities? Absolutely. A vast majority of the things I treat as a physical therapist are people adding too much of some activity too quickly. So the biggest caution that I can give from my extensive experience with this sort of problem is as you're adding an activity, add less than you think you should. If you're going to start walking today, you might consider doing a short walk of 10 minutes rather than doing 30. 
you might even consider giving yourself a rest day in between rather than just walking. You know what? I'm going to start. I'm going to walk every single day. You might walk today, rest the next day, see how your body responded to that walk, and then walk again two days later or something along those lines. As people gain motivation and get excited about adding activity to their life, they can often overdo it, which leads to them having to see someone like myself and then missing out on the opportunity to exercise or add that activity for several weeks or even several months in some cases. So the big thing is just slowly add things in. Sometimes we use like the 10% rule. If you walked 100 minutes this week, don't walk more than 110 minutes next week. If you increase your activity too rapidly, it can lead to problems. 10% rule is a great guideline. So Connor, are there any types of shoes or tips for comfortable clothes you can share with us? It's going to be very dependent upon your structure, especially of your feet, but also the rest of your body too. So it'd be difficult to say that there's one brand or one type of shoe that would work well for everybody. Consulting with a physical therapist, a podiatrist, even your local shoe store often has experts that can help you find based on your foot profile what the best type of shoe is. If you have shoes that are already comfortable to walk around in, we recommend not changing that. If you're going to start an exercise program, you don't have to get a brand new pair of shoes, especially if they're dramatically different than the ones that you already have, as that change in foot style or shoe can really cause problems in itself. But consulting with a physical therapist, a podiatrist, or even your local shoe store can be very helpful. So Connor, I know we're almost at time here, but I wanted to know, Do you recommend someone with psoriatic arthritis enlist help from a physical therapist as they start to become more active? Are there other resources you can share? Yeah, I have a biased approach, as you can imagine, but people with psoriatic arthritis and really anybody with a body should have a relationship with a physical therapist. Good way to consider it is how you would consult with your dentist. Every six months, you're going to check in with them, get ahead of any bigger problems and make sure that you're brushing appropriately, you're flossing, you're doing all the things you need to to prevent a bigger problem. We recommend the same approach in physical therapy. Even if you're not dealing with any significant pains or injuries, talking to your physical therapist and having them watch you move, walk, squat, bend, twist, do all these normal activities we have to do every day and identifying problem areas so you can address those problems before they turn into a pain experience is very, very helpful. If you have a condition like psoriatic arthritis, chronic pain, things of that nature, it's often more difficult to start your exercise journey and you have to be more thoughtful and strategic about how you ramp up your activity. So utilizing your local physical therapist or even someone like a personal trainer, if you're not in an active injury state, can be very helpful. So you have someone that's skilled in adjusting exercise, and dosing exercise to get you where you need to go. And again, a good goal for exercise is about 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per week, and then two to three days of strength and flexibility training. I love the analogy with the dentist. It's perfect. Yeah. Connor, thank you so much for your guidance about being and staying active with psoriatic arthritis. I know you provided a lot of valuable information and tips for our community. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just that we know that exercise, especially cardiovascular exercise, is our main way to control pain. There are many ways to do this, medication, meditation, 
good sleep, good diet, keeping systemic inflammation down with things that we can control. But cardiovascular exercise is the main way to help control our pain. And you may need to take weeks or months or even longer to build to that 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per week. But it's important that we start that journey at some point. And if you need to utilize people like physical therapists, counselor, mental health professional, personal trainer, accountability groups, or even somebody else with psoriatic arthritis that's dealing with similar challenges, that's all fair game. And it's a valuable journey to go on for pain management, but also our general health and well-being. It's the perfect message to close with. Thank you, Connor. Kind of like a never give up, right? Right. As you just heard from Connor, there are many ways to include being physically active in your life, even if you experience chronic pain. During May, Psoriatic Arthritis Action Month, the Patient Navigation Center offers free guides that include stretches for psoriatic arthritis, mobility, and physical activity in psoriatic arthritis, which offer tips to help with stretching exercises, maintaining mobility, and similar to today's podcast episode, what exercises are safe to do with joint pain. You can receive your copies by emailing education at psoriasis.org or by calling the PNC at 800-723-9166, option one today. And finally, thank you to our sponsors who provided support on behalf of this Soundbites episode through unrestricted educational grants from Abby, Bristol-Myers-Squibb, Janssen, and UCB. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soundbites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Soundbites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.